great to be here, and I am excited. And uh, we had a, a fantastic time in the morning. Uh, the preacher was great. Um, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. And <laughs> I'm still. I, I, I must say that the, the week uh, leading up to today has been kind of crazy. I thought we'll have a, a good break. We'll have a good holiday, and uh, I found myself trying to catch up with a whole load of stuff. And uh, I want to know that uh, this is such an incredible privilege for us to be able to go into India, into wherever God leads us. Uh, tonight will be India, and uh, we do cover your prayers. Uh, Ajo, who was on keys today, his wife Sue is joining us, and uh, I don't know if you remember Jean and Chintu. Jean's joining us. Chintu's taken home with the uh, little baby, Michelle and I. We, we, we're genuinely excited. It's a, it's a young church. It's a church plant that uh, we've never been to before. The couple that planted the church must be in their kind of, um, what can I say, they must be in their early 30s, early 30s. And, and they've given up everything to, to actually the, to build a church. These guys are, it's good. I think this is like the third or fourth church plant. He was working, he stopped working now to lead this church. But he would plant a church, then he doesn't have the time and the resources to look after that church. So he would raise a leader and place that leader there, and then he'll go plant another church. And he's done that a couple of times, and this one is built on uh, land that I think he has inherited. But uh, he pawned his wife's jewelry, he pawned his mom's jewelry, everything, just to put that building up. And uh, they don't have electricity there, because, uh, well, it's come in the middle of a jungle. And, uh, but by faith, they've done the electrical wiring, they put fans in place, and they're trusting that electricity gets there. That is incredible for me. And uh, they've been a part of the leadership training camps we've uh, done in, in another part of India called Kodagiri. You all would be familiar with the name. And uh, so they've come along every time we've done leadership training there. And uh, they've engaged with us. So the last time we were there was in February. February, And uh, these guys, we heard this story. And we thought, hey, this might be a great young church that we can partner with. When I say when we partner with these people, they're not going there saying we're better than you. We're not going there saying... We are, we've got something you don't have. We're going there actually to say we're here to encourage you. We're going there to give them a thumbs up, a pat on the back, encourage them, put some muscle into their leaders, share stories, hear theirs, pray with them. And you won't believe how excited they are. They, I was speaking to them uh, last week, and he says, for the last three or four weeks, every Friday, every Tuesday, they've been fasting and praying for us to get there. No pressure. No pressure at all. And, uh, and uh, I kind of uh, whispered to them and said, I didn't fast at all, but I have been working hard. I've been prepping because uh, they said, uh, I said, what, what do you have in mind? So we get there, get there tomorrow morning and Sunday, Sunday you'll preach, which is great. Sunday evening I'll spend time with this couple and a uh, couple other leaders. Monday, 10 to 1, leadership training, 1 to 2, lunch break, 2 to 4, leadership training. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my Lord, I've got to do this. Fortunately, they changed the rules. But here's the thing. They're hungry. They're hungry for the Word of God. He called to me a few days ago and says, is it all right if we can baptize a couple of people? I said, yeah. And yesterday we called him and said, so how many is a couple? Twelve people. Everyone in that church, a Hindu convert. Every one of them. Amazing work among the ladies in that area. But guys, you know what? They, they put me to shame. I look at them and I'm thinking, what? incredible faith. What an incredible calling. And I know this. God's not called me to that. I feel no shame in what I do. I don't feel 
any sense of regret. This is what God's called me to do. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy to do what God's called me to do. And I'm happy to encourage someone else to pursue all that God has for them. And we're going to be talking a little bit along that, actually, because um, kind of if you look at the slide that I put up there, can I get my just a cover slide? That's the one. Building strong. It's kind of what we're talking about. We've been praying uh, for South India over the last two weeks. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like for people to have to reset life. You lose everything. You, you've uh, invested in your, your business. You, you've farmed. You've um, put heart and soul and you've got backbreaking work into farming your land. And then there's this flood that comes and ravages everything. You lose your business. You lose your home. You lose all your crops. I, I don't know. I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to reset in that way. And, and we, one of the things we were praying about today was, Lord, give them hope. But that's ultimately what it boils down to. And I agree with, uh, with Ryan when he, he came up here and said, he, this, it's, it's not God's intention that we suffer. It was never the plan. The Garden of Eden had no suffering in it. But unfortunately, we messed up along the way. And so Jesus comes and he says, in this world, you will have trouble. And then he says something incredible. He says, but fear not. I have overcome the world. Today's message is actually this is how do we appropriate what God has won for us and live in the reality of this thing of building strong. How do we build? How do we do life when things go belly up? How do you manage? How do you survive? How do you find hope in a time when everything's going wrong? There was a time, uh, fortunately for me, our home uh, back in Sri Lanka was kind of built on a slightly higher place and we had a uh, a flood much like the one that's kind of ravaging Kerala right now. And, uh, and the water came kind of up to about one inch near the entrance to my home. And then I left my books. I'd already put my books all on kind of the highest points I could find. And, uh, and uh, so everything I left was kind of at a higher place. So my books were all on the tops of uh, shelves and racks and cabinets and the shelf was on top of the table and uh, I do love that, right? And and, uh, and and I walked out thinking I'll find my mor a motorbike, and uh, my motorbike was uh, we, we called it the mosquito because you get on that motorbike and you go and it, all you hear is that was my motorbike. I found it. I found it because one of the uh, mirrors was sticking up out of the water, and that's how I found my motorbike. I went out there, water was up to my chest, and uh, and at that time we were working with a few other families, and uh, we had to kind of help them rebuild, and. Uh, it's difficult. It is difficult when you've lost everything. But when you build, you want to build strong. I'll talk to you about building strong. Because when you love someone, when, you, when, you, when you're driven by love, you want to build strong. Michelle went camping with me once. And uh, it was my goal, my desire in life. When we got Michelle, uh, married, I told, I told myself, I'm going to make Michelle experience all those things she's never done before. One of the things she's never done was go camping. And so I took her camping and she promised me, I'm never doing that again. Right? And, uh, but, but there was a condition she wanted. She said, if I'm going camping with you, you've got to build something for me. Now, get this. This is in Sri Lanka. We don't have ace hardware. We don't kick it off. The Australians among us, there's no Buddings. There's no Home Depot. We have a little hardware store down the road. And if you're lucky, he's got a couple of extra nuts and bolts, one hammer and a pair of rusty pliers. And that's, that's the hardware store. And she wanted me to build something. She said, this is what I need if you want me to go camping. So I got my friend, it's, uh, him and his wife, Michelle and I, and said, we need to build Michelle a toilet. 
that's what she wanted. She said, I'm afraid because I can't, I'm not squatting. And, and I love her. So I had to build something strong. I had to make sure that he could support her. She was a lot lighter that day. Right? But still, you know, you don't want to let your wife down. And we're just married and I want to make sure that my wife knows, hey, I can support you and so can the stuff that I build. They can support me. But uh, we did go camping. But here's the thing. The important thing is when we love something, when we love someone, we build strong. Because we want that thing to stay. We want it to survive the test of time. But often in our lives, and this is the same thing, God's no different because He loves us and He wants us to build strong. But the problem is this, that we get so busy sometimes. You get caught up in the business of life, in the day-to-day thing of life, but you just don't hear what God is saying about the now. We're so busy building for tomorrow. We're, we're investing in this, putting our time into that, and we're so busy hearing a million voices saying, this is what you need. And I don't know about you, but if you're driving down Arkhead Road, if you're driving down Chexite Road, every second lamp was, tells me I need a new car. And he tells me, like, if you got this car, right, you know what? You get two years in interest-free, whatever, insurance-free, and all that kind of stuff. He just tells me I need that car. I love my car. My car is nine years old. I love it. And someone came to me recently and said, why did you buy a new car? I said, why? I love my car. Nobody cars owned. I love my car. Why do you love your car? It's my car. It's not owned by the bank. It's paid off. But the thing is that we pursue those things Right, because we think that these are the things that will make us happy. And in that busyness, we forget that God has something else sometimes for us. And the worst thing that can happen in life is for us to miss that. And, and often enough, God is, <laughs> Scripture is not complicated, folks. God is not complicated. We cannot understand all of who He is. But what He has chosen to reveal to us, He has chosen to reveal to us in simple terms, terms we can understand. And so He says, my sheep. And uh, I'm the shepherd. I need you to hear my voice. But we're so busy, we don't hear that sometimes. And uh, can I get that next slide up there? That's what it kind of looks like for me. Jesus is clear. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. They follow me. They hear my voice. They follow me. But here's the problem. So many things crowding around us, demanding our attention. And we're going, I wonder why I haven't heard from the shepherd. It's simple. Stop crowding your life with everything else. And we find that Jesus does this again because he keeps it simple for us. We find that a similar illustration is given to us by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, which is kind of where I'm facing. And the Gospel of Matthew, we find this point in time where Jesus has kind of shared for a long time. He's talked for a long time. Believe me, my sermon is short. I promise you I'll be done in the next 20 minutes, at least. Awesome. More or less. Close. Right? But, uh, but Jesus has been, if you look at chapter 5 of Matthew onwards, right, that's a long sermon. And, and they didn't have an air-conditioned place. They probably, it's just on the side of a mountain somewhere. It wasn't air-conditioned. It couldn't have been very comfortable. And I can guarantee you these were not the seats they sat on. And they sat and listened to Jesus. And they listened to him. And he talked. And he taught. And he preached. And he sermonized. He's a great skilled orator, and he spoke in terms that they could understand. He spoke about life, the day-to-day things of life, the realities of life. And I kind of went through that. I kind of speed read through those uh, two chapters, and I found that these are some things. These are my words that he talked about. He talked about attitudes. Can we go there? He talked about attitudes. He talked about influence, ours. He spoke of law. He spoke of 
emotions and the things that drive us. Spoke of divorce, integrity, revenge, humility, forgiveness. Spoke of generosity, prayers. That's a long sermon, which kind of explains that there is an expression. And after doing all of this, after teaching on these key areas of life, he's, he comes towards the end of his sermon. He's coming to the end of his teaching, and then he says, Listen, guys, I've kind of finished preaching. Let me land it like this. This is the big thing I want you to take away from this. You've been listening to me for a long time. You've been, you've been paying attention. Well done. But here's what I want to say to you now. And then we pick up that story from Matthew chapter 7. This is what he says today. After doing all this teaching, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, when you read the story, if you read the story out of context, if you take the story away from the bigger narrative of that, that huge, long, incredible sermon, then it becomes kind of more like a nice story. It's kind of like Aesop's fables. It's kind of uh, good versus evil or wisdom versus foolishness or hey, use better materials than the next guy or be a little wise in how you do what you do. It's just that kind of thing. But now you've got Jesus at the end of this long sermon on all these key areas of life saying, guys, it's not enough for you to hear what I say. It's not enough. Because if you hear, nothing happens. But you need to go out there now Take this and do what I'm telling you. Do this. And suddenly, this story becomes something profoundly more than just a nice parable. Now this becomes life and death. Now this becomes something of importance to us. And he's, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the absolute necessity for you and I to build our lives on a foundation that is secure. On a foundation that is solid. And he's saying, my words, I, I am that foundation. Who I am, my person, and my work, this is the foundation. Because the, the foundation, that's what holds everything up. And I'll tell you this, you can be the best craftsman. You can hire Alhaptin Construction, the best construction company around. You can hire the best architects, the best engineers. You can use the, the best material that you can find. You can spend a lot of time and a lot of money, but if you don't build on a strong foundation, it is lost. It will not stand the test of time. And here's the thing that many of us, without even realizing it, we spend so much of our time and energy building things that will not stand the test of time. Now, folks, I'm not saying that this is, that it is, that we all leave our jobs and just kind of head out into India or into Bangalore, into wherever. That's not what I'm saying. Be sure of what God's called you to and then do that. Maybe he called you to be the best dad in the world. No, he can't. That was me. Right? And, uh, and uh, maybe he called you to be the best husband. That's also me. Now, he's called you to something. He has a plan for you. Something very specific that is meant to be for you. But it would be a terrible shame that uh, we, we do all those things, right, that 
kind of look great on the outside, but have no eternal value. And I, uh, this, this quotation, I was looking for it in the morning. I found it just before uh, I stepped up to preach. And uh, it's uh, attributed to a couple of people, G.K. Chesterton and Francis Schaeffer, the two of them. But it's, it goes like this. It says, uh, it could be a tragedy if God's called you to be a missionary that you stoop down to be nothing. What a tragedy. If God's called you to be a missionary that you stoop down to be nothing. Folks, what's God called you to? Are you building on that and building over him? And so we're going to look at two builders today. Two builders. And uh, the thing with two builders is this. It's like there are two options here. And that's, that's kind of what Jesus, Jesus is talking about here. He's saying there's two ways you can build. The first one is, well, you can build on me. Two things. You can build on me and you can build on everything else. Those are the two options you have. And sometimes what happens is we take... Uh, the, the different philosophies of life and we, we find out, hey, this, this philosophy is nice, that saying is good, that little thing that someone thought, that guru mentioned this, this is really great. We do this buffet style mix and match for our lives. And we think because it appeals to us and it sounds good and it kind of resonates within us that this is right. But the thing is that Jesus is very clear, like I said, he doesn't kind of mix his words around this. Right? Can you imagine that he's saying to you today, guys, there is only me. Nothing else. Everything else is just that. Everything else. I, I, we got a little uh, flock for Johnny and Leah for their home when we came back from holiday. And it said this, family is everything. Everything else is just everything else. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm everything. Everything else, that's just everything else. Two options. Two builders. Two options. And, and the word of God is very clear that there is nothing else that we need. Everything we need is found in the word of God. And that's why Peter writes to us and says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. Everything we need to navigate through life I can tell you this. Let's assume that you win some kind of a, some, some, you know, uh, maybe you get a call that says, hey, I'm calling from Etisalat, you want five million, well, please give us your credit card details. Have you ever had one of those calls? Yeah, I know a guy who actually got that call and gave his credit card details. I won't tell you who that was. <laughs> I prayed for him <laughs> and cancelled his credit card. But here's the thing, that let's assume that you've got this money. You want some large amount of money and you spend all your money and your time, you go to the best philosophers in the world. You go to the best teachers, you find the most profound gurus around, you find the best life coaches, and you go spend time with them. And at the end of your life, you go through all that you have learned and the truth that you have been seeking. I'll tell you this, the man who stayed at home and spent time in the word of God has found more truth than you ever will. Because that's all you need. Just the word of God. That's what Peter is writing to us about. Two choices, two houses, two men. Then they're looking at the two houses. Now here's the thing. There's nothing in scripture to indicate that the one house was inferior in material to the other. Nothing. Just says two men built. And uh, remember that when Jesus talks, his, he, he addresses people in a language they can understand. So he talks to a nomadic agrarian community and he tells them about sheep and shepherds. It's a language they can understand. 
If he's in the cities and on the outskirts of the town, he talks to them about houses. And for them, now remember again, building houses then is not like now. You don't get the luxury of hiring the architect. You don't get to call the construction company and say, hey, I want a lottery and I can you give me a house. And so if you want to have an infinity pool in your home, you just build on the edge of Jordan. That's what you do. And this guy who built, like he would have put a lot of bad things in that fertile field. He would have had to make the brick out of clay. He would have had to shift rocks and uproot stuff. We were out in uh, Zimbabwe uh, building the church in Nkai. And I mean, look at this hard work. By the way, that's the second time that Michelle ever went camping. There was grace for that day. Right? There's nothing. No, no water. We were showering in this. Uh, our bathroom was an interesting one. It was a bunch of corrugated metal. That was kind of like two feet by two feet. That's it. And uh, you stand there, and there are branches and these pieces of metal stuck in between. And I'm fairly fair by Zimbabwe standards. And, uh, and people walking by, and you're showering, and they're kind of going, yay! It's like a little flash of white in between the branches there. And, and, uh, and you're like, because it was cold, it was winter, you go, well, but there's this thing. That man would have worked hard to build his home. His circumstances and all, he, did, he put everything into it. He, there's nothing to show that he was negligent, right, or he was less uh, zealous than the man who built on the rock. He worked hard. So much so that when his house actually was built, it didn't collapse at the, it wasn't kind of a half and up, half and up, blow your house down moment. It didn't just collapse with the first little breath of breeze. There was, there was wind, there was a storm, there was a flood, and then finally the breeze came and then it gets knocked down. So it was reasonably strong. And it might appear that I can, I can build. Folks, we sometimes build our lives around, I don't know what, whether it is our, our bank balance, whether it is our investments, our homes. These are not bad things in and of themselves. We build our, build our lives around our children. We live vicariously through them and we measure our success by theirs. If they're successful, well, then I've been successful. But God says, no, no, I need you to build on me. I am the I am the one that you need to build on. However impressive our buildings are, they will not withstand the test of time unless the foundation is Jesus himself. Because he's not talking about houses. He's not talking about architecture. He's not talking about construction. He's talking about our lives. These houses, these two houses represent our lives. And he's saying, build on me. Your life must be founded can you imagine this? We were praying uh, for the people out in Hill, and one of the things we were praying was, Lord, please bring hope. Bring hope. The only way that we can lose everything, we, we have this. Uh, Michelle and I spent some time uh, after the tsunami hit uh, Sri Lanka. We, were, we worked for a month in a village called Karalia. Uh, there's a train passing by when. Uh, when heard the story there with me, but uh, when that tsunami hit and that train, everyone on board lost their life, the entire village was wiped out. Uh, we were there ministering to them. One of the people that we ministered to was a fisherman. He had lost his wife and he had three girls, um, twins and another older girl. Other than one of the twins, he lost the other two and his wife and his entire life was gone. And he came there and he goes, what do you, I, I have nothing to live for. And because there was no Jesus in his life, trying to minister to a man, we had to tell him, listen, you have one more choice. Pick me 
with them. Can you imagine that sense of hopelessness when you've walked every day? Can you imagine what the people of South India are going through right now? That sense of hopelessness, that sense of... Can you imagine what it's like to sit on the roof? I saw this picture of a man sitting on the roof. It looks so the water was right up to the roof. And you're watching everything. You, you can do nothing. The force of water is so great. That's that sense of helplessness. But you cannot live with a sense of hopelessness. And the only way that we find hope in times of difficulty, in times of trouble, is when our lives are rooted in, built on a foundation, anchored on the very person and the work and the words of Jesus. That's the only way we survive the storms of life. Francis Chan says this, our greatest fear, one before we get back up, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Reminded me of a story that I heard of a man who had thought to himself, well, maybe I can take it with me when I die. And uh, so he says, when I die, he can convert all my assets into gold bars and put it in the coffin with me. Right? And uh, it's only a story. This is not scripted. This is not theology. So I'm just kind of putting it out there. Saying, don't quote me. I say, this Sunday's gospel is real. Right? But uh, so pretend that this is true. And he comes up to heaven and he stands there and the gatekeeper Peter himself stands there and says, okay, what do you got in your suitcase? Says, and this guy goes, yeah, you know, they told me I can't bring it, but I did. They said, what do you got in there? And he opens it and says, I've got gold bars. And Peter goes, what? You brought pavement? Last week's a line with gold. You brought pavement, buddy. It means nothing here. What are you building on? build our lives on Jesus. And I've said this to people before. I've found that people come, Michelle and I spend a lot of time in counseling. When, when folks come to us for counseling, one of the commonest things in the world is, oh, God promised me that he has plans to prosper me, not harm me. He says, I know the plans I have for you. And my response to that is often, yeah, he, he, God does say that. He does say he knows the plans he has for you. Have you ever bothered to ask him what they are? Don't wait till you're in trouble. Don't, you can't build your foundation, you can't build your house when the storm is raging. You do it before. And it will stand so strong. And regardless of what happens, even if everything you have is lost, the foundation remains. After the tsunami, we looked at the floods in Sri Lanka. Houses, just nothing, nothing. But the foundation is still there. That's the one part that hasn't got washed away, the foundation. And that's kind of what it's like. And it is important to recognize that you and I as believers are not exempt from the storms of life. There are different kinds. There are the literal ones, like the ones that uh, the people in South India are facing right now, where you lose everything. It's washed away. There are kind of the metaphorical ones, the storms that of sickness, of financial trouble, of losing a loved one. These storms are also difficult ones that we endure. And the only way we have sustained through that is when we build on that foundation. And I tell you this, your foundation will depend. Jesus is clear on that. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. This is not a gentle, hey, you know what, things might happen, but it might not. He said, you will have trouble. But then the promise that comes along with it is that fear not, I have overcome the world. We are not exempt. But the times of trouble that come our way and how we face them determines how we have been building. Your building, when you look at it, you can say, yeah, built on a strong foundation, or mm, not so much. Folks, it's never too late. Start building now. Don't wait for tomorrow. 
Because I'll tell you what, have you noticed those people who don't ever seem to have a storm in life? I don't know if you know that. I have a few like that. They feel like everything seems to be going great. I mean, the job is great. The kids are doing great. They're acing their studies. They're doing great in the academics. They're, they're amazing in the field of sports. Their business is thriving. And, and he's got this trophy wife. And uh, I've got one too. And uh, just say lucky same. Right? And, uh, and uh, they're, they're out at every social event. You see them in the newspapers. You see them every time you look at Facebook. They're there. Someone Twitter tweets. What, what do you people do? Tweet. Whatever, <laughs> some quick tweets, right there. But something happens, and they're there. Those are the ones that never seem to have some storm. But there is a storm coming. There's one coming. If not in this life, folks, there is a storm coming in the next. You can be sure of that. And this is what it, the scripture says about it. Isaiah writes about it. And I found the message version of it, which I really like. It's, here's how it goes. But the Master, God has something to say to this. Watch closely. I'm laying a foundation in Zion. A solid granite foundation, squared and true. And this is the meaning of the stone. A trusting life won't come easy. I'll make justice the measuring stick and righteousness the plumb line for the building. A hailstorm will knock down the shanty town of lies and a flash flood will wash out the rubbish. Wow. Will a storm come, folks? Batten down the hatches with ridicule. Then tell me now, why have you got the type that's built strong, that's built right? How did the wise man differ from the foolish man? Nothing. No man except God. And that was the most important one, that he built on a strong foundation. In every other respect, there doesn't appear to be any difference. Both men equally diligent, equally zealous. Both men desiring to do something right, to build something that they hope will be a legacy, to build their lives in, around something that they hope will last. Both men. One difference. One difference. That's the only one. And the key to this is found in how Jesus describes that man. And uh, here's what he says. Everyone then who hears and does. Hears and does. Remember what I said at the start? Scripture is actually quite easy. We tend to overcomplicate it sometimes. Jesus is clear. Gives us an illustration, but he's talked about important things in those first two chapters from 5 to 7. And then he lands with this. He's saying, well, now I've said a lot. I've talked a lot. I've preached a lot. Now do. Now do. James warns us that to not do after hearing is a form of self-deception. Here's what he says. He says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. For the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Johnny, where are you, buddy? Can I just see you and be out your opinion? And, and I just want to close with a couple of promises that if I'm trusted, they've held me They've held me in good stead when, when things have been a little tough. They pointed me to God. Because if our lives are built on Him, if God becomes the anchor of our lives, if Jesus is the anchor of our lives, and His Word becomes that thing that we build on, there's a promise here. And here's what He says My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. We sing the song, don't we? He's greater. Because here's where it comes from. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then he goes on in Romans chapter 8. He says this, For I'm sure, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, the key thing to remember is this. You build strong. When the storms of life come, you need to remember that it's not whether you can hold on to him or not that matters. When the storms of life come, what matters is whether he holds on to you. And if you build strong, he's holding you. Do you mind standing with me? I'm going to ask you this question. What kind of build are you today? Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says this, No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. But is he your foundation?